A note on content. Lovecraft Country Episode 5, Strange Case, contains graphic sexual assault. We decided to use the most abstract terms to discuss it, not to linger over it, and to focus instead on character themes throughout the episode. Hey Ruth. Hey Rachel. We're still in Lovecraft Country. I hate it here. What did you think about this episode overall? I really appreciated one of the quotes that I saw on the hashtag where someone had written, this show is giving me everything I want and also giving me things I never want to see again. Of all the episodes so far, it was one that I didn't fully rewatch and it was very hard, but was also very interesting and engaging in some ways. And I think there were a lot of threads put out there for plot lines, obviously for Ruby and also for Christina's agenda that I'm hoping to see followed up on later in the season. What about you? Um, I think the same. One of the things that continues to be interesting to me about this show is that we're getting a lot of different styles of story. So the first two were this kind of like intrigue, you know, journey story we had the whole Indiana Jones kind of story. And then this is like, so this was more, I want to say it was more of a Jordan Peele kind of horror, horror that is terrifying on a, I do not want to see that. I'm terrified of what that means. And I'm terrified of the thing itself. But there were a lot of really, really deep issues that it mm-hmm. explored in a way that I don't, you know, the, the question with horror, to me as somebody who doesn't love it, is, is horror a, a way to explore these issues that other genres of art aren't as good at? So, yeah, there were whole sections of the episode that I didn't watch the first time, let alone <laughs> not watching again. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that question you raised because I think that... In this case, you know, the body swapping, it's very much a trope that is used in horror. But I think when we talk a little bit later about Ruby's experiences in being a white woman. So yeah, I saw this as a very Jordan Peele style horror. And I think that this is a way that the body swap enables Ruby to see things that she had only imagined so far, things which are genuinely horrifying. And in some ways, I think it had, I would say, a bit of a get-out kind of feel. Obviously, the swap is going more the other way, but that profound level of horror as you realize what people are really like. You know, Jordan Field didn't write any of this, but there's a little bit of us in there too, right? Like, who mm. is real? But I do have a lighthearted question on my agenda here at the beginning. Mm-hmm. What do you think about butts? <laughs> Generally a fan, Williams underwhelmed me. I do see a fair amount of white boy ass, um, and it's not top tier. And I didn't feel Williams was particularly overwhelming. I was not prepared for either the amount of gore or the amount of butts. There just kept being more <laughs> additional butts. I wasn't ready. All right, so most important to discuss is how right you were. I was. I was right. And it happens in the basement. I'm sure of this now. Like, that's where they do all the gross, grody stuff. Like, 
I wondered why there was tarp down when she came home and it seems like the only practical option. So I assume that William Christina just does their shit in the basement and that's... Yeah, I want to get down into the basement now and see like the wardrobe. Do they have any other secret crap down there? Yeah, I'm glad that they did the reveal like now instead mm-hmm. of like drawing it out because I would have just been super annoyed by your excitement about it and the thing itself as well. Yeah, I would have been mad if they had dragged it beyond this week, because if I figured it out last week, then it shouldn't be concealed from the viewer, right? It could become a meta thing that we become aware of now that we know about this potion. We could see Christina go into the basement, change right. the thing, take the potion, become William. I would have been okay with that, but it needed to be revealed somehow. But another unanswered question is what happens to all the flesh parts that are being disposed oh. of all over the city? <laughs> um and also not answered in this show is like what happened to these even more bloodstains in Letty's house. Like this is a world in which just body parts are cleaned up without any trouble whatsoever. Well, I did feel like William and Christine decided that addressed it a little better in that, you know, William has the tarp down. I think they do their transformations in the basement. I don't know what they do with the flesh. I think it might biodegrade really quickly. That could, yeah, it could be like, um, sort of like insect sloughings. Yes, yes, yes. The episode left me feeling, you know, unresolved with how Ruby's going to react to the whole thing. And I really want to see that next week. And I also don't feel like we're going to. No, I think we're going to have to wait. But a little bit more about the whole situation was revealed either through William or through Christina and the plot earlier that William is a guy who has a life. Yeah. And is the heir to the Chicago Lodge. So yeah, it sounds like he was doing experiments. He got assassinated. Hiram Epstein also got, maybe got assassinated actually. Mm -hmm. And then Christina took over his body for him. And now is she him? Is he still a guy she puts on now? Or does she allow a little bit of him to live through her? And of course, that's a thing that we sort of saw when Ruby woke up because she woke up as racist dog lady, which was really freaky to me. Yeah. The whole question is, I think it's a much more interesting question with Christina and William is, is, is William still there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is his agency level? And does that mean like, is Christina the one who's seems to be in some way having a relationship with Ruby, even if it's a slightly exploitative one or quite exploitative one. But what does this mean about like racist dog lady? Like, does the potion specifically make you one person? So one of my thoughts about Ruby was Letty is going to be so pissed. Just so pissed. So questions about the main plot line on a thematic level is like Mm -hmm. last week we talked about using the carrot magic as an opportunity. Yeah. And so did the carrot work? That's a good question. I was really interested in how she chose to explore it. I appreciated Christina's take on it midway through, right? It's not, Oh, I assume you must want to be a white woman. It's, I would like to give you the power to do whatever it is that you want to do. What Ruby really wants is to live an uninterrupted life, but people are so destructive on so many levels, whether it's racial violence, gendered violence, both. 
that the uninterrupted life isn't necessarily possible. I don't know that what Ruby wants is just to have a normal life. I mean, on some level, yes, but on another level, she's so mad. Mm-hmm. Like she is deeply, deeply angry and, and justifiably so and tired. And there's a lot of things that she wants. I think the way that the power pitch played out is absolutely ingenious. One, have her wake up as a white woman. It takes care of a like, do you want to try this? Do you not? Here it is. Right. You know, shocking and, and terrifying, but all the same, how else can you explain? And then given the option, I thought for a minute that she was going to just like get out of there, but mm-hmm. she can't resist. Now, let me give this a go when I'm ready for it. Right. So mm-hmm. let me let me try this again for real. And then letting her do the thing that she wants most, which is to get the job that she is qualified for, which isn't desk girl, it's assistant manager. Right. Right. She's super duper qualified. So she's trying that out. And then because it wouldn't come well from William, it's Christina that tells her, listen, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of gives her this like, push further and she goes all the way into a horrific power fantasy so i think that she's hooked and i think that she'll stay hooked i'll be interested in that i think when i watched the episode i felt like i could see her gradually encountering more and more things that in being a white woman were not making her less uninterrupted as it were because she's seeing she's not able to be her full self because say when she dances Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she's she's fetishized in the early stages when she's just like let let me try and live a normal life and live as this white lady she literally becomes uncomfortable in the skin yeah in a way that then becomes like graphically represented Yeah, well, and I felt like in managing Tamara, she had that real moment, too, where she did the the thing that comes off as the, oh, God, it's an awkward white lady who really wants to be an ally. Oh, I just, that scene was so well done. And then her problem with Tamara is as a black lady. Her her actual frustrations with Tamara are... Not even with Tamara, really. They're with Marshall Fields. They're with the fact that Marshall Fields decided to hire her as much on a whim as Tamara decided to apply. Like, there's no reason that Tamara, having a seventh grade education, not having taken additional coursework, all that stuff shouldn't be a shop counter girl. It's a rigged game. You know, it's like, and then if she fails, then we won't have to hire anymore. And you heard kind of like that she was getting everyone else's grunt work as well. Yes, I wanted to note that, that Tamara is struggling to be at her desk and doing her own job because she is being asked by somebody to put away shoes and somebody else to do other things and she's getting hazed they're trying to haze her out of the work Mm -hmm. while simultaneously wanting to exploit her to go to the south side yeah you could see her kind of like trying to shrink and then she like literally is like get this white lady off of me yeah Um, In your notes, uh, 
you mentioned the scene where she does the very first thing that she does, which is go up to the front counter and get an ice cream and have nobody look at her sideways at all. And then you have the whole time at which she is working where she's trying to play this role. And then after Christina talks to her, she starts to approach the metamorphosis as a tool. I can see Ruby getting an addiction to it, not as an alternate life for herself, not even as a William Christina thing, but as a tool. I mean, you know, we all have our own power or revenge fantasies when we're wronged, where we wish that we had some ability to do something. And what Christina's telling her is that magic does give you these abilities. And I don't know how she's going to use them. I, I know that it's probably good. I've never had these abilities. I don't think I would be using them quite like Ruby did in this episode. But at the same time, I have definitely had fantasies about, you know, what I would do to certain men who've done certain things to either me or to some of my friends. There was a part of me that understood that and that really didn't want to understand that, which I think is one of the good ways that horror makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. So before I get into a little bit more of some of the themes from the episode, there's this other thread, I think, throughout this plot line, which is, does Christina like her? Like, does William like her? Does Christina like her? It's kind of like, well, you see, you know, the interaction with William is definitely like, at least like courting, I want to be involved with you, and sometimes even more over... And then in the first scene where you have Christina, <laughs> Rufy is cursing her out and uh-huh. she, she looks a little sad. Well, and I think she asked her, like, do you like William? She, yes, she asked if you care for him and, you know, apart from all of this stuff, it did get me to thinking, one, as William, you're, you're having a relationship, which is intoxicating. And then two... What's the fun of doing magic if you don't have a magic buddy? True, yeah. Because Christina and William are not, in fact, magic buddies. Like, they can't be magic buddies. Have you never watched a teen witch movie? (laughs) It's about friendship. So I think that she has a kind of companionship that she has not ever really had before. Yeah, so building on that, I'm thinking back now to in the previous episode where we saw Christina playing hide-and-seek with the children and telling them that she'd never played hide-and-seek before. That really emphasized her aloneness. And I don't like her and I don't trust her. But I felt she was somewhat straightforward about, one, how messed up white women, white womanhood as a concept is. And two... That, yeah, like you say, having a magic buddy and having someone with whom you can sit down and and who will actually treat you like another person who is also trying to use the same thing to gain similar ends, even if you have like different actual ends. It seems like Christina's using William as her attempt to take over this lodge. It's possible that William also exists. Yes. In which case, William also wants to take over the lodge. Right. But I think Christina is looking for some camaraderie there. And if Ruby is willing to go into that, then they might be able to form a certain level of friendship. I think Christina would have to retain a certain amount of awareness that, yes, our experiences are very different. 
when we both run up against barriers and mine are significantly lower than yours. Not just because she's a white woman too, but because she's a rich white woman. She's got lots of means at her disposal. So again, one fewer barrier. Whereas Ruby, uh, as far as I know, has almost nothing. If Christina is willing to, uh, for lack of a better term, own her privilege, then maybe they can build a simpatico between the two of them so that they can be magic buddies, like you suggest. And I think that there's some potential there. And maybe William or Christina as William doesn't get around very much. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, yeah, you're having sex and, and I mean, that's nice. You're having sex and doing magic. I don't know. If it's working for you, it's working for you. That's all, as a teenager, that's all I wanted. <laughs> yeah, so it's really kind of unknown where the the play goes from here because, because it is Christina, you, you know, there's like something afoot. But mm-hmm. it's wide open other than the stuff with the lodge. So do we want to talk about what the fuck is up with the police? And of course, always and forever, what the fuck? But really, in this case... What the actual ever-loving fuck is up? First, that guy has an undead guy in his closet. I mean, I feel like that guy might not be undead. I feel like he might just be, like, mostly dead. Yeah, I don't know if it was the stink of putrefaction or the stink of just human excretia. Either way, it smells terrible in that closet, apparently. And I felt real bad for Ruby. The police chief is a construct and i couldn't tell much about the the nature of his constructness except that his chest and his arms and and neck are different what i couldn't tell about his chest was i couldn't tell if it was like there was something darker about its skin but there wasn't anything conclusive i would say about that i've seen more than enough dead people stitched up together in films <laughs> right. to know that like that, that could just be dead but otherwise white flesh yeah my go-to was like oh he's some kind of frankenstein guy i don't know of what specification so my questions there were like who made him hiram but if so is he trying to accomplish hiram's goals or his own next up montrose montrose just sat there all night with blood on his hands yeah Did that make you hate him less? Yeah, this episode left me with some really complex feelings about Montrose. And I think, you know, at the beginning of the season, I mentioned in our first episode that my father had died about a year and a half ago now. And I felt like everything around Montrose and his relationship with Tick is spiraling more and more toward being in some ways like my relationship with my father. Montrose is, is like, there's nothing that anyone could do to to change his opinions on any of this matter. Right. And as his kid, your job is to decide how you're going to respond to that. And so Tick responds in a way that's conditioned by his father's own violence and the war and it sets him up almost to become someone who continues this cycle of violent behavior, which I think all of us with difficult relationships with our fathers like that worry about. This episode showed Montrose as someone overall who, like like my own father, has many 
complicated sides so that you can look at his life and say, wow, this person actually struggled with some really serious and deep things and is still also a human who I think the most, the best thing in this episode for me with Montrose was the moment when he experienced pure joy near the end. And I know that like cuts way ahead, but I was very glad that they gave us that moment too, that they showed us that maybe there was something about him that could have been saved. I don't, I don't feel hopeful about him. I mentioned that my, my Montrose opinion is based on my appreciation of a, a kind of complete character who acts in ways that are characteristic of them. Mm-hmm. And Montrose is fundamentally hurt and continuing to suffer. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to relieve that suffering, but he doesn't believe that he can. I think that's the place where he is at the beginning of this episode. And Mm -hmm. so he's trying to protect himself and those around him. And he does extreme things like murdering. And so after he gets beat up by Tick, he absconds to like, I'm not even going to be at my apartment. I'm going to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. You're not going to find me. I'm going to go over to my boyfriend's place. In the episode summary, it calls it his secret lover. But I just think it's his regular lover that he doesn't talk about. Yeah. I just, it doesn't, it just seems like his normal ass boyfriend. <laughs> like, there's nothing weird about it. He's definitely like a little bit uncomfortable with it because there's a whole plot point about kissing being like the like expression of like, yeah, I actually care for you. Yeah. And I did wonder if part of that was, you know, he, he's acting so hard to protect Tick and to keep himself from getting hurt again. He had just lost his brother. Mm hmm. And obviously, I think their relationship started long before he lost his brother and before they were on this adventure. But yeah, he does seem like someone who would protect himself by not letting himself go all the way, which in this case for him is kissing Sammy, which again makes it beautiful at the end. So I think why the why this mantra's plotline makes a lot of sense in this episode is that he and Ruby are similar in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. this episode really brings those to the fore in that they are um they are very aware of what is set out against them in the world Mm -hmm. and they are at you know at wit's end with how to continue to cope with them Mm -hmm. um and that's when you see mantras in his alcoholism and you see well you know ruby with the same honestly so what, what transpires with Montrose is that you have this kind of over-the-top scene at the drag show where he kind of finally takes what has been an outstretched hand yeah, into a community where everyone has been through some shit, and they're not going to ask you questions. You've gotten beat up. They've all gotten beat up. Something bad happened in your family? Something bad happened in our family. You're here now, and mm-hmm. we're going to accept you. Um, here here you are. And so you have this kind of joyousness about it where the over-the-top staging reflects that. Yeah, it, it made me think a little bit of a musical moment 
you know, yeah. in, in a musical film where that's a transformative moment happens through a musical scene and a scene that is not something that would happen in real life, but it is beautiful and cathartic. Yeah. So I think one of the, the main theme of this episode is obviously like embodiment. Yeah. How do you live in your body in this world? Well, it's a great horror theme and it's in a lot of horror movies, but without it being like pod people or, you know, insects Mm -hmm. inside of your arm, it's more interesting to have it be just like people and people. And all of this is happening with just people. And Mm -hmm. and you've talked about this being a, a kind of Lovecraft theme too, right? Yeah. So there's the story, the thing on the doorstep. There are also stories where a person's body exists, but his brain has been taken away. Oh, God. Why? He's telling his friend all these stories, and his friend gradually realizes that it's not him in the body anymore. Oh, my God. That's a weird one. But I think you're right about embodiedness. I see this episode as about embodiedness and asking what's monstrous because oh, that's I think an interesting take montrose yeah. has been he's been beaten into thinking that he's a bad thing in himself right he suffered abuses his father remember george described him as having been so open-hearted you've got that you've got ruby both figuring out what is monstrous by engaging with the world as another person but also bringing up something horrifying from within herself that she's hopefully going to have to reckon with. Uh, maybe not right away. She might go on a bit of a, a vengeance kick, but I like her. And so I would really like to see her come around to reckoning with what a, a better response would be. So control is, is a big part of it. Yeah. And I think the other part of this episode, and this gets um, into tick in particular is this is all you know the last episode was called a history of violence and this episode is not a history of violence but this episode is the next phase what happens after a history of violence a history of violence toward montrose toward the gay and drag communities toward ruby toward black women more generally toward tick from montrose from montrose toward yahima so that violence is so much embedded into into how we live our lives like i i did something i don't normally do which is i don't normally listen to anybody else talk about lovecraft country i'll read the hashtag on twitter but that's it i'll try to listen to some of the podcasts when we're done with it but i don't want to i don't want to get other people's ideas into my head and accidentally pass them off as my own. But I listened to Lovecraft Country Radio because I was trying really hard to process this. And Shannon Houston, who's on there, is one of the writers from the writer's room. And so I'd heard that she actually talks about the inside baseball of the writing process. And so I thought she talked about two really important things that she brought up when thinking about Ruby in this episode. And one was that Ruby is not just responding to how she's been treated, how Tamara's treated, to how all of these people are talking about Black people in their back room. She's also responding to generational violence, to the amount of violence that's been perpetrated against women just like her. And so 
Shannon Houston said that as a writer, she initially felt that Ruby should have a very strong trigger, but then felt that maybe it was okay to have less of a a justifiable reaction in this moment and more an understanding that this came out of something. And then the second thing that she had said was that with a show that has all, all the major characters are black, with the exception of Christina William, who is sketchy as heck and we do not trust. So Ruby can be written as a complex character who actually is caught up in these long-term repercussions of this system that is spread throughout all of America. So my kind of three themes were embodiment and related to that control and acceptance. Mm Mm-hmm. I've previously shared Nightlight, a horror fiction podcast, in our media break. Creepy and unsettling tales from black authors performed by black actors. Since then, they've dropped another story, Last Stop on Route 9, by one of the greats, Tanana Reeve Dew. Family memories, unfortunate encounters, and endless fog trouble the characters as they return home for their grandmother's funeral lunch. Not only can you subscribe to the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can support it on Patreon, where your money goes to pay the writers and actors, and you get bonus interviews with lots of authors. So don't just listen. Join me in the Nightlight Legion. Learn more at nightlightpod.com or patreon.com slash nightlightpod. So besides the themes of anger, what did you think of Tick and Letty's minor threads throughout the episode? They're really working through shit and uh, building a strong foundation for the future. I'm excited for their wedding. (laughs) I really appreciated, and I thought this ties into what I had said earlier about violence, that both of them don't know what a healthy romantic relationship looks like. Yeah, and they talked about it. And they talked about it! And I was so happy for them that they did. Because, like, that's a good start. Both of you admitting, you don't know what you're doing. And you're scared. I really appreciated that Letty was ready to beat up her man with a baseball bat. Yes, that was a very good moment. Need be, I will stop you, even though I know that I really can't. Yeah, she, that was also, I think, a good moment for seeing the potential that this could could undo their relationship mm-hmm. if it wasn't addressed, that she understood that she did not want to be with a man she was afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like speaking of, of tr- triggers and traumas and histories... There have been a few times in my life that my husband has done things that remind me of my dad. And like one of the reasons that we can be together is because I don't think he's raised his voice more than three times to me in over 15 years. That's important. I cannot be yelled at by men. That's a trauma. Seeing her willingness to stand up for herself and saying, no, I can't have that in my life. I was glad for her that she's willing to draw boundaries and recognize even if she's still processing it. So Letty has this a little bit of being behind Tick 
because she believes in him and she believes also that he's just going to keep doing it. So I got to help him because he's my man. Mm-hmm. She's not bound to it, but she's like, I, I choose to, to, to support him in what he does, even if I'm not entirely on board with it. We had mm-hmm. continuing themes of Tick and Montrose being the same about mm-hmm. protection and power and using power for protection. Mm-hmm. Where Letty says, Yeah, Montrose was trying to protect us and look at what he did. Do, do you want to not only become your father who, you know, beats up his family, but just murders? <laughs> somebody yeah but at the same time you have where she's like oh yeah i totally took pictures of those pages already yeah i was on top of it we're on the same page here we we know where we're going i was really struck by how much there really wasn't that much about taking levy they were just really i mean off having couples therapy yeah they had big Potential relationship downfall, confronting that issue, group study time, mm-hmm. and hot, hot sex. Mm-hmm. All right. So so let's talk about minor plot lines mm-hmm. and other loose threads. So we talked a little bit about the police chief and William and the whole Chicago lodge. So that's going on. So locusts. I wrote down locusts right up front. So we had more of this like voiceover stuff happening in this where we had the TV going. We had for colored girls voiceover. Mm-hmm. What was... Uh... I thought it was interesting how the locusts go through phases. And so William used the metaphor of butterflies, but locusts are all devouring. And so I wondered if this was going to be... Ruby's end trajectory or just foreshadow how she was going to be in this episode that locusts are a thing that come in and rain destruction on you and then of course in defense um, of locusts an individual locust is just doing its locust thing it's the <laughs> it's the hordes of locusts that rain destruction not an individual locust and a, a biblical plague oh yeah so of judgment Right. So to answer my own question, I looked up mm-hmm. AWOL in Wikipedia and I learned that Tick is not in violation of the Uniform Code of Military Justice so far. He sure has been gone from his post for a long time, longer than he told his commanding officer he would be, but he is not technically AWOL. Well, I had a question about that. Was he still in the military or had he left it to do some sort of job in Florida? Well, he got transferred back home. And this is the end part of the war. The armistice is already in place. Mm -hmm. So I think he just got a transfer to Florida and he took leave from Florida. I guess I'd gotten the impression that he was in some sort of reserve status. So as long as he intends to go back and if they come to collect him, doesn't resist him. Yeah, so he can just be kind of gone. What was the moment in which you were the most creeped out? So the moment when I saw the eye appear in Ruby woken up as white lady who will become Hillary's mouth. That first time when she's transforming back to Ruby. I was already not watching that. 
it, it was really freaky to see Ruby looking out from inside her mouth, just like this eyeball that the second time around I was like, oh, that is the, Ruby. That's so the cool. only transformation that I watched was the last one where you can, oh, geez. where you can see Christina like reaching up and uh-huh. climbing back into into William. Ugh. Yeah. So what about you? I think the most creeped out was when uh, <laughs> Ruby is in the closet with the dead man and he's oh, just, just like bleeding out his mouth at her and she's like trying to reason with him. <laughs> like <laughs> She's like, be quiet. And he's like, what are you? This is my closet. What about most scared scared? I had like one hand over my face and another hand blocking the view of the television screen for 100% of the gory body changes. No, thank you. Cannot Mm. do. I have a genetic predisposition to not like that shit. (laughs) I think I'm going to go on sort of a more meta level and say that at a moment I was really deeply worried when I saw Letty having the baseball bat. I was First, I was extremely proud of her for standing up for herself, for saying this is unacceptable behavior. But I was very scared for their relationship, which I'm, you know, kind of invested in is as a part of this story. And so I thought, oh, no, is this going to drive them all the way apart? And I was so glad to see how this came to them talking instead about how poor their models had been, how mm-hmm. Tick has this anger that he is mm-hmm. a thing that he is dealing with and it has to be dealt with and that... She is not compromising on that. So I felt that that went okay in the end. I'm looking forward to next week. I think it'll be nice to have a little bit of a change of pace. Um, mm, earworms. Not into earworms. <laughs> <laughs> so The prelude to next week episode was when he translates something in the pages and he makes the long distance phone call and it's so long, you know, it's to Korea. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it, finally. We also don't know about Hippolyta and Dee, who are on their way to Artem. That wasn't addressed at all in this episode. Zero percent addressed. And I feel like if next week's episode is entirely flashback... It seems like what it will be, yeah. So I'm both looking forward to this very much, because I've been asking, so what is this story since episode Mm -hmm. one? And I'm also like, okay, so we have... Montrose, I'm pretty comfortable with where he is right now. He can just have a nice chill week at Sammy's place. That's great. We'll leave him there. Ruby, quite worried about. And then Hippolyta and Dee, I'm more than a little concerned. So I wonder if in the next episode where we see Hippolyta... Oh, you could see the Ruby plotline coming back. And you could see some, some things starting to come back together. Right. I'm wondering if like the Ruby and Hippolyta plotlines will kind of mesh into each other and so i wonder if that'll be the next episode after next week interesting that's those are the answers that i currently want and really most importantly no update on tree
and it's really the any kind of romantic novel I have this reaction to. You read 200 pages and you're like, well, that could have been four paragraphs. Right? <laughs> I just don't do well with the romantics. And it makes me sad, but there it is. It's like I read it and I was like, oh, that digressed. <laughs> it wears me out because of all the heavy sighing and eye rolling <laughs> that I do. 